Sales Tuners, Episode 82, Eric Pratt, Managing Partner at Revenue River. The enemy of this whole thing is that if people get overly educated down the wrong direction and make too many assumptions in the wrong way, that that can hurt you in the sales cycles. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from George Cantor, who said the art of proposing a question must be held of higher value than solving it. From selling beer, wine, and soda to working for a Berkshire subsidiary, Eric Pratt has spent more than 20 years selling something to someone. Today, he's the founder of Revenue River, a company he started as a sales consultancy, but quickly morphed into a digital agency. Residing today in Golden, Colorado, Eric is not shy about telling the story of how he raced home from multiple business trips to be present for the birth of both of his kids. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 82. But now let's get to the conversation where Eric talks about how the motivation of owning a business can be somewhat different than that of just being a salesperson. I think I'd start by saying that motivation is certainly easy when you own a business. I don't think that's probably the, the, the scenario that a lot of your guests are in. But I think if I think back to being a salesperson and being a salesperson only, now being a sales, playing a sales role in my business, I've always been really motivated by what I would consider to be like a total win. I think the best case scenario is winning a deal that, that helps my organization, whether I work for it or I own it, and also is, is a, a, you know, just a fantastic advantage to a client. It's sort of uh, what I would consider to be like the abundance principle, like we can all win. Um, I'm definitely motivated by the thrill of the hunt and the thrill of victory, but uh, the victory where everyone else wins too is uh, pretty motivating to me. Now, even though you still root for the Seahawks while living out in Denver, you've said that you couldn't be paid enough money to move back to Seattle. What's up with that? <laughs> uh, bottom line is I just love Colorado. I uh, moved to Colorado uh, 16 years ago, and it is definitely home. I, I absolutely love it here. I love the outdoors. I love the mountains. And uh, I, I definitely like the lifestyle here, all the people here. I'm just uh, Colorado is home. Um, nothing nothing uh, against Seattle. I will I will still certainly cheer for all my Seattle sports teams that I grew up with. Um, I, uh, I want to puke every time I see orange all over the city, but uh, that's a small price to pay for, for living in God's country. I'm not going to lie. I was rooting for Peyton to get a ring that year, but my goodness, the Seahawks and they just came in and took care of business. Yeah, that was a good day for me. <laughs> so Eric, in this show, as you know, we talk about the attitude, action and ability that's led to your success. But I want to start with your process today. What is Revenue River and why does a typical customer actually decide to buy from you? There's a bunch of buyers out there that are looking for help uh, in the digital world. They're 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 trying to leverage the internet uh, to grow their business, and that's this type of stuff we help with. Um, so, in short, we help companies compete and win online. Very good. I like that. It is uh, short and sweet. Now, you haven't always been the salesperson and business owner that you are today. So, take me way back. How did you actually uh, get into sales? 
Really by accident. I was uh, going to college, had no idea what I was going to do with my life, just uh, knew I wanted to go to college and sort of was participating. Um, my junior year, I literally like blew through my summer savings within a couple of months. Um, I had a, a friend who worked for a beer distributor and got me a job there. Um, my sales career literally started uh, more on the, on the service side, I guess. I started stocking shelves in the grocery stores before class in the morning, delivering kegs in the afternoon, and, and you know, largely working in sales support. Um, there was a president of that company who baptized me into sales. He believed that uh, you couldn't be in sales unless you were clean shaven and wore black shoes. Um, for some reason, a mustache was okay. So <laughs> I don't know why. I think that's why I have sideburns now. It was like my my sort of uh, anti-everything attitude at the time. Um, uh, I graduated college there. I, you know, I, I, I was still working at the company, the, the, the dream route uh, I wanted opened up, but I got passed over for the promotion. A couple days later, I put in notice. I took the same route with a little small competitor across town. And I got to tell you, Jim, I don't think I've ever felt so much desire to win. Um, I had, you know, a big chip on my shoulder. I had a ton to prove. Uh, I wanted to prove stuff to my old company that they made a mistake. I wanted to prove to my new company that made they'd made a good decision. I was uh, I was on a mission. That was my uh, introduction to the world of sales right there. Well, I know over the last 20 years, you've seen a whole bunch of change. The whole world seemingly has changed, but buyers have changed. What's been the biggest change that you've seen in that evolution uh, since you've gotten, since you've been in the game? I think you just hit on a really important thing there is it's it's to me, everything is about the customer and it's about the consumer, how they behave, what their preferences are. Um, I, I think that really lends towards a lot of this change is technology driven. And I know that technology has really increased my personal uh, efficiency and effectiveness. And I, I, I think it's really a matter of being able to go where they are. And what you have going on today, in my opinion, is you've got a lot of buying being done before they talk to to a salesperson, a lot of research, a lot of discovery, a lot of comparison uh, shopping going on, and it's happening online. So the ability to understand that, the ability to maybe shift your paradigm a little bit as a salesperson and understand that this isn't about banging people over the head with features and benefits and going through PowerPoint presentations with 85 slides. It's about understanding that the, the, the consumer, the buyer is educated and they're looking for something and it's your job to be a helpful uh, expert, to be an advisor, to help walk them through wherever they come into the buyer's journey at, not just assuming that you're starting at the beginning, but being able to really understand where they're at, where they've come into the buyer's journey at and help them along through the process. If you can, you know, sort of mentally make that paradigm shift and understand that that sales people are not the end all be all of the sales cycle and that technology has really empowered buyers to to shop more intelligently and in a more sophisticated manner you've got to meet them where they're at well i know that sales people including myself wish that we still were the be all end all of the process but i'm with you on that eric i've had people on this show on both sides of the debate of what you just talked about and i don't remember the stat but it's something like 68 percent of the sales cycle is done before a buyer reaches out to sales whatever the number is it, it, we'll, we'll go with it but it sounds to me like you're on the notion that, that is the case. They've they've definitely gone a lot further into the sales process than they ever did before. But what happens when the buyer doesn't actually know what they're actually looking for? What if they're researching the wrong solution and that's when they reach out? 
I think there's certainly a need to level set. I think one of the downsides to all of this is people can be uh, miseducated, right? Like they can they can pull they can make incorrect assumptions. I think part of a, a salesperson's job, while continuing that education, is also to challenge them to 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 dig into some stuff to turn their paradigms. Um, I, I, I think that the the enemy of this whole thing is that if people get overly educated down the wrong direction and make too many assumptions in the wrong way, that that can hurt you in the sales cycle. So I think on the front side, you've, you've got to get pretty heavy into exploration to figure out sort of what that baseline is um, to dig deeper. Uh, I, I think sometimes that means maybe going negative. Uh, I will tell you that a lot of, of what we do within the sales cycle is to challenge paradigms, challenge perceptions and and to do that by by going negative asking the hard probing question you know following back up not just to not allowing prospects to accept uh, uh, to to follow through to, to carry forward their false perceptions those have to be challenged if you're going to be successful in today's age in my opinion I want to go further with this just to you know better understand because I'm with you I agree with challenging paradigm challenging perceptions but you know you, you started by saying that we have to meet the customer where they are. I know you didn't say let them go with where they're going, but how do you do that gracefully balance that that, that, that potential riff between yourself and the customer? I think from a philosophy standpoint, I mean, I am a huge believer in in basically the Socratic method, which is question-based selling, which is asking a lot of very specific questions, probing questions, digging deeper. You know, from my standpoint, I, I think it's really hard, really, really important to dig in on 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 the, the existing state of their business and their decision-making style. Where are they at? What do they have to work with? What can be leveraged? What needs to be challenged, right? Like the best way to do that is is through exploration through asking a lot of questions um i i I think that's where a lot of those things fall in is that's where you can recognize that maybe their their perceptions or assumptions are incorrect and that they need to be challenged but i think that by digging in deeply and and asking really really good questions you build some credibility with those prospects and i think that that allows you to position yourself as a trusted expert because just because they call you or want to talk to you doesn't mean they believe you're an expert yet and and you're being tested as much as the as as you're trying to test them and you've got to stand up to some of that and you've got to be able to build some credibility you've got to be able to to build some rapport in a short amount of time and my my personal experience is that that people aren't looking for a salesperson to tell them everything they want to hear uh they're they're looking for a salesperson to help sort of expand their knowledge base potentially challenge their knowledge base uh grow their grow their knowledge base through helpful tips and resources and i think that's part of our role I think it's bigger than CRM alone. And one of the things that's that's really, really uh, uh, grown in, in recent years is all these sort of complementary sales enablement type tools, tools to make you, uh, to give you deeper insights, to, under, to have engagement data, to understand what they've done in the sales process before they got to you so that a salesperson has some context. So you have visibility into their, 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 their sort of consumption. Uh, so visibility tools are big. Um, I, I think then on the efficiency side also is you can integrate tools in with CRMs that maybe help you build proposals. Uh, we I absolutely love a tool set called Pandadoc for that. It has uh, uh, made it very, very slick for us to build proposals from template to ensure accuracy, 
uh, everything's integrated, so it's all CRM token driven. Uh, the, the efficiency that is gained um, in in that process versus a much more manual process building out PDFs and PowerPoints and Word docs and stuff like that. Like the ability to seamlessly sync all these different tool sets into that visibility. I think you're really talking about uh, a sort of the golden age of sales enablement tool sets uh, that bolt on and complement and enhance and augment your CRM so that it's less burdensome and less manual and less time consuming and more valuable with insights and capabilities. Well, with the notion of the golden age of sales enablement, in order for that to be true inside of an organization, every department kind of has to work together to to make that happen. And I've read, you know, some of your LinkedIn uh, uh, articles where you talk about every department is an organization that should exist to serve sales, including marketing. And you know, in co- previous conversations we've had, you even talked about the notion of the sales prevention department. So why aren't companies coalescing around sales? Why do we have that notion of the sales prevention department? part of that is is I think the larger corporate corporations get, the more siloed they get. Um, I think uh, uh, the sales department in a lot of organizations is just sort of the dirty word. Like nobody wants to deal with sales. Sales is a pain in the butt. Sales is asking for them always to go outside a process and stuff like that. And I think a lot of that is, 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 is the silo effect when uh, me as a salesperson signs a deal, how uh, professional and efficient and effective am I with communicating handover and stuff like that? I think that's one of the things that technology can lend help to is as a salesperson, as soon as you get ink on a sheet of paper, mentally you are checked out and on to the next deal, right? And I think that's the mental attitude that you want a salesperson to have. You want them focused on hunting and harvesting and 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 getting out there and killing deals. But at the same time, if you just leave a mess for fulfillment behind you, you're 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 sort of cutting off your nose to spite your face. So I I, I think the ability to connect through with other departments and 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 to pass proper communication and context so that that ball can be picked up and run with at the point it was handed off versus having to take three steps back. Like that's the stuff that Logs down a salesperson when a month later, a week later, um, their you know operations is coming back and saying, "Hey, Carl, where's this? And hey, Joe, where's this? And how come this isn't a place? And how come this isn't a place?" If you can really cross your your T's and dot your I's through that handover process, I think you will you you inevitably free yourself up to go focus on on where your next deal is. I know you do a lot of this for your clients kind of operating as their sales enablement arm, generating some of their leads, uh, helping them through the process. What are some of the easy wins that a company can do uh, to kind of get going with some of the stuff you're talking about? I really believe that every department, every person in an organization exists to serve sales. And the reason for that is bottom line is that a line goes up because a sale is made. And so everybody plays a role in sales support. And it's it's not just a one-man show. Uh, you're not just a sales representative out there operating on an island in an ideal world. You're working as a team and you may need uh, operations support for, for technical support within the sales cycle. You're certainly going to need, uh, you know, the fulfillment mechanism to make sure you have happy clients and and build strong portfolio and get strong references and, and and referral work and stuff like that right so it's very very important that the sale is fulfilled properly and that really lends towards interdepartmental communication so there's lots of tools for efficiency and effectiveness as far as that goes um, I I love the ability to just capture all of my communication I love the ability to know that every single phone call I make every single email I send 
send, every single document I send, I've got full history on all that stuff. Um, that's not super, super heavy stuff. That's the ability to just simply capture the sales experience, the sales process. So as all these deals are working through your pipeline, you have full visibility. I mean, we all know what happens when, say, a deal goes cold and your, your attention shifts and then all of a sudden it warms back up, say, two or three months later. Do you have to pick up the pieces from the start or can you can you actually continue forward at that point? So having visibility into that, into the context of the conversation, wherever it's at on the handoff, I think is really important. And, and most modern CRM technologies allow you the ability to, to capture and record that. That's actually one of the reasons why I'm such a fan of HubSpot as a technology is because their CRM package has baked in sales enablement tools that allows me to originate all that communication inside that piece of software um, and capture it all in a timeline. So it's very, very easy for anyone in the organization to look back on that client, uh, whether they be a, an individual or a company and, and see the entire history. But Eric, let me ask you this. What do you see is the biggest thing that prevents salespeople uh, from hitting the goals that they're, they're uh, seeking out? Oh man, nobody's gonna like this, but I, I really believe that it's their mindset. It's 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 head trash. It's it's a lack of focus or inability to focus on what's truly important, right? Like however you want to phrase that, you're your only problem and you're your only solution. Um, and until you maybe drop some of the bad behaviors or or poor mindset that's holding you back, I I, I don't think you're ever gonna reach your your ideal potential. And 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 I certainly think that ties directly towards goal achievement. Well, for, I know you've reached a lot of goals uh, in your career. One of the things that I read was that you once got an embroidered beach towel as a sales gift. Is that accurate? <laughs> it absolutely is. I got uh, um, uh, won a sales uh, quarterly competition or something like that. And it was right towards the end of the year. So it was very cr close to Christmas. And I got a package in the mail. And I'm, oh, cool. What's this? And I open it up with my wife. And it's this, uh, it's probably about the size of a door. And it's a red beach towel. And it had the company name embroidered like in the corner of the towel. And it was like, great job on the sales contest, Eric. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. So yeah, I think eventually that cut up got cut up into rags and probably some remnants of that floating around in my shop right now. I, I got to ask though, have you ever, did it ever make it to the beach? Did you ever use it for what it was meant to be used for? Well, I can unequivocally state that I never actually <laughs> used that towel for its desired use case. No, I did not. There, I've seen some horrible uh, awards. That may be uh, the worst one that I've ever heard. That's incredible. That's incredible. So you, you talk about mindset and I'm totally with you. I think that the biggest competitor that we have is ourselves. It's that man in the mirror that we're looking at. But how do you, because again, you've had a great career here. How do you sustain success uh, for so long without kind of getting burnt out? You know, there's this whole notion of the, what have you done for me lately mentality. So how do you sustain that level of success if you're able to achieve it? First of all, Jim, it's it's certainly not by taking care of myself. <laughs> I'm I'm probably not the, the the glowing example of of health. Um, I think I have endless energy. My my wife doesn't understand how I operate in life with so little sleep. Um, I think the key to me to avoiding burnout is, if for me personally, is getting unplugged. Um, everything for recreation for that I do for recreation is about being outdoors and unplugged. Whether that's time with friends or time with family. Um, um, time with my, you know, just myself on a river fishing, like whatever I've got to do to, 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 to sort of regroup and recharge. I, I tend, I don't tend to 
avoid burnout by like rest. I tend to avoid burnout by taking my mind off the, the, the struggle or the grind a little bit and, and getting away from it all and then coming back fresh. It's amazing how clear you can get when you do do that. It's something that I struggle with. I believe that addiction to technology is a real thing. I'm working very hard on being able to put that cell phone down and, and quit, but it's something that I'm going to continue to have to work on. That to me is 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 a discipline. The discipline that that I adhere to is to rule your technology. And you think about it, you know, you're sitting at your desk, you're trying to build a proposal, and Slack or Skype's going off. You're getting new email notifications. You're getting website visitation notifications from a prospect. Your your wife's texting you. Somebody's always giving you these these. You know, you're always being distracted. We literally live in a world of distraction, and you've got to be able to focus dedicated time on individual tasks and you've got to be able to block all that stuff out um you know it's the same thing for continued learning it's you've got to find a way to put yourself in an environment that that's conducive to you really absorbing and 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 taking advantage of whatever you're digging into and the distractions of technology is a very very real challenge there and i think it takes it takes some discipline and it takes some practice it takes turning your notifications off it takes unplugging completely, leaving your phone at home. Um, that's something I, I, I certainly talk a lot about with like my wife, with our children, like you can't get away from it. You try to go out to family dinner and they've got a digital gaming device sitting on your count on the table. Yeah. It's like your kid is like, Hey kids play video games. It's like, Holy crap. We're trying to spend some quality time together. Like get that away from me. So I think you've got to find a way to just remove yourself from that, whatever it takes. Um, if you, if you really want to be successful. In preparing for this show, Eric, I like to do a lot of research as well as talk to other people that you might have worked with in the past. And I think that one of the things that has driven you to success really is that notion of just putting in the time and doing the disciplined hard work. Here's one of the things I find fascinating, though, you know, as an entrepreneur, and, and it, it goes into being a salesperson as well, but when you're just getting started, it seems like no one wants to talk to you. No one wants your advice. No one wants to even connect with you. But all of a sudden, you start to have a little bit of success. You start to hit your quota. You start to grow a nice company, have some employees. Now, all of a sudden, everybody wants to chat. How do you handle that in your business? And what advice do you might have for, for those out there starting to deal with it as well? I think the adage is the overnight success, right? Like in, in, in maybe a lot of people on the show, they're looking for a quick hitter. They're looking for a quick tip, something they can take away to get better right away. And the way I would answer that is that you've got to invest into that. I mean, it's, it's, it's success is very much the flywheel concept. You've got a lot of heavy lifting. You've got to push some stuff uphill. You've got to build your pipeline. You've got to make those connections. You've got to earn people's trust, right? Like the, the short answer is there's really no substitute for hard work. And I, think you need to be dedicated to personal and professional improvement. Uh, Some of that work should be on your own time. Like you should be willing to invest some of your personal time towards making yourself better so that you can be more effective when you go back to your workday. I I think it's one of those things that largely falls on some, you know, fundamental principle character based uh, things. Like if you, if you want to be trusted, you've got to be trustworthy and you've got to, you've got to practice say do. 
You can't let people down. I think one of the, the fastest ways to blow a sale is to promise someone something that you don't follow through on. And you should also, you know, take that into consideration. Like what's your production capacity to actual fulfill, actually fulfill your promise? Um, there's nothing wrong with saying, no, I can't get that back to you by end of today. Or no, I do not have time tomorrow for a meeting because I'm a successful salesperson and I'm busy and I'm booked like crazy. Um, so the, the, the ability to really uh, uh, improve yourself over time, uh, you plant seeds, you plant seeds, you don't harvest right away. Like some of that stuff is just about rolling up your sleeves and trusting and believing in the fact that if you work really hard at something that you will improve over time, you don't always see immediate results on some of that stuff. Like if I think back to, to 2009, when, when I left the corporate world and started Revenue River, I had these, these dreams and ambitions of being an entrepreneur and, and making a bunch of money and, and, you know, ruling the free world type of stuff. And then you get into the grind and it's slower than you think. And it's harder than you think. And turns out if it was easy, everybody would do it. And like, holy crap, I've got a mountain ahead of me. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to slide back down the mountain or are you going to keep climbing? And I, I, I think there's something to be said for persistence and determination and just refusing to take no for an answer, um, refusing to accept, you know, failure or mediocrity or your current state, whatever it is, and just always believing that there's, there's uh, something better in the future, you know? It is funny as an entrepreneur, as you know, you obviously getting customers is, is difficult, you know, making sure that your employees are doing the right thing is difficult, but then you got accountants and lawyers and just all the other stuff that just goes into running the business that it, it's funny. Sometimes you'll look at it like, oh, you got the good life. And it's like, well, yeah, I, I, I want to move on because my goodness, I, I, I started to feel that pain <laughs> as you, as you were going out there. So, you know, one of the things that, that my dad, you know, ta- told me growing up, Eric, is that a man's word is all he has. And once you lose that, you, you really don't have much. And I think one of the things that you kind of shared with me is that, you know, once you give someone your word and they value it, all of a sudden they'll start doing things for you kind of without expectation. I think it aligns to a lot of what you're talking about today. Yeah. And I think that applies not only to, you know, from a sales perspective, not only with your prospects, but also with your team. You know, we, we talked about organizational silos and, and, and friction between, you know, so, sort of sales and operations and stuff like that. I, I, I think um, that really hits on sort of like a leadership principle. And and the, the concept of leadership that sticks with me is the, the ability to be a leader is the ability to, to, to be successful uh, and help others be successful um, uh, beyond just yourself and the ability to build those relationships and earn that trust and make deposits into those relationships. Because as a salesperson, every once in a while, you're going to have to do something where you're, where you're sort of pitted between meeting a prospect's demands and meeting uh, or, or working within organizational structure and constraints, right? And and when you're working in those two things, they sometimes they conflict and you're sort of like this middleman. And sometimes you have to make a withdrawal uh, internally to be able to serve a prospect externally. And if you've really built a lot of trust and you've really built sound relationships and you've really practiced sort of some of those leadership principles internally with your organization, I think it puts you in a position where where the emotional bank account with those individuals is really, really high because you've invested so much into those relationships. So now when you have to have to take that withdrawal, it doesn't completely destroy trust. It doesn't completely destroy that relationship so that you're not screwed the next time you have to do that. So I think that's, that's, uh, that's something 
something that I, I don't think a lot of salespeople think about is the is the internal relationships and the internal say do as much as the external say do. I think it's very, very easy to see that in the paradigm of a salesperson dealing with a prospect. And oh, yeah, if you tell them you're going to deliver something, you better deliver it. Well, the same goes internally in an organization. I think that can that can really clear the path for you to, to, to work within the rule book a little bit more efficiently. I think it's an incredible analogy, the notion of withdrawals and deposits and building those relationships over time. And I think it's a, a good time for me to take a quick break, Eric, so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales sooners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Costello has been a sponsor of this show for several months now. So I wanted to call founder and CEO Frank Dale and ask him why exactly he built Costello. You and I have talked to a lot of salespeople and I've yet to meet one that doesn't want to be great. But if we look at the tools that they have available to them, they're not built to make their job easier. We have CRM, and it's great for contact management. We have awesome tools like our friends at SalesLoft that will help you with cadences and, and reaching out to prospective customers. But the second we start talking to someone, we're stuck with Post-it notes, Google Docs, and Evernote templates. And if you're trying to run a dynamic sales call, that just doesn't cut it. And so what that leads to is forgetting to ask that question you meant to ask, not remembering that customer story when you need to tell it, and then data that maybe we need to understand what's going on in the business, not making it back to CRM. Connect with Frank and his team or request a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com and see why their platform is truly changing the way reps run sales calls. We're back and it's time for the money round. Eric, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready, man. Give it to me. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Very simply, dedicating myself to personal and professional development. I mean, learning from people that are smarter than you seems like a no-brainer. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? I would spend at least an hour a day on social media. I would build as many connections as I could and I would share as much information. I would just be present in those conversations. Uh, I, I would focus time on social media. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose? Ooh, I love to win. I am definitely not afraid of failure. I lose all day long. I lose all the time. I really don't give a crap. I am chasing the win. What's a book, Eric, that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Ooh, eight years straight, I'm going on the four disciplines of execution, 40X. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Eric's suggestion of the four disciplines of execution for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's the four disciplines of execution, or as Eric said, 4DX, as everyone else has been telling me. And I have not read it, but I'm going to add it to my Audible list right now. Eric, what is currently at the top of your bucket list? I'm a big outdoorsman, man, and I have been dreaming of uh, bow hunting in Africa for the better part of my adult life. I love to hunt, and I really want to go to Africa. Where in Africa do you think you would go? Oh, there's a couple different uh, um, uh, countries there that would uh, suffice for my liking, but I think probably South Africa would be top of the list. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? 
First of all, as far as the grind goes, I, I would just stand alongside you and say that hard work does pay off. It, it, it is difficult to grind, but the rewards come from the grind. So stick with it. Hard work pays off. And the other thing I would say is, is you should be prepared to make yourself better on your own time. Eric joked after the conversation about being socially active uh, and that you can find him on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and of course, LinkedIn, all under his name, Eric Pratt or Eric underscore Pratt. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, buyers can be miseducated. While a lot of research can be and is being done prior to your first conversation with the buyer, it doesn't mean they know exactly that they've made the right assumption. While they're clearly looking for something, it's your job to be a helpful expert and advisor to their process. Number two, dig deeper. It's very important to understand the existing state of a prospect's business. Where are they? What do they already have to work with? What can you leverage? Buyers aren't looking for you to tell them what they want to hear. They're looking for you to understand. But how do you understand if you haven't asked enough questions? And number three, don't leave a mess for delivery. Just because you've got ink on a contract doesn't mean your job is done. Help yourself by making that client handoff to fulfillment as smooth as possible. As a salesperson, every once in a while, you're going to have to do something where you are pitted between meeting a prospect's demands and meeting or working with your company structure and current constraints. Taking care of delivery issues assures you you can ask for favors when they're needed. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there. And they stay there. Why is there a light in the refrigerator, but not in the freezer?